We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. This podcast celebrates generosity at work, not financial giving. Giving valuable time, mutual respect, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Today, our guest is Kevin Schneiders. He's the CEO and the president of EDSI. He started at EDSI in 1994 as a training consultant, and then he was the HR manager, director of operations, and then six years, he was the chief operating officer. But then in 2007, he assumed the role of the CEO, but he refers to it as the CSL, which is the Chief Servant Leader. Kevin, I really look forward to hearing your thoughts on generosity at work. Welcome to ROG. Thank you so much, Shannon. So give us a little bit of background. Tell us more about Kevin. Yeah, and, and within that bio, I mean, I, I guess I plant roots and I stay there for a while. <laughs> I love EDSI and the work that we do and was fortunate at a young age. I was 22 when I started at EDSI to just find a passion in the work that I was doing. And, and that initially was helping people find work and employment. So we had an opportunity to work with 50 dislocated steel workers in Pittsburgh. And I showed up just to help develop some curriculum and thought that I would just drop that off and leave and go on to other work and, and just found great purpose in it. And so now today we work with over 100,000 people a year and more than 60 locations in the Midwest, Northeast and Southeast. And I uh, get to work with 900 really talented people. But in my time with EDSI, we've gone from essentially nine to 900 in terms of the size of the company, which has been a fantastic opportunity and an education for me. And so everything that we've done has been in an effort to help. And we didn't know anything about marketing or growing the company when we had nine or 10 employees. We just basically had exceptional customer service. And those customers dragged us around to new opportunities for a while. And they were great endorsements for us for new customers. And so really putting our head down early on and working hard in the business that we loved and the work that we loved. And people saw the, that enthusiasm and saw how we were willing to give to others in a generous way. And that just continued to create that flywheel of generosity, if you will. That's such a tremendous success story because we get to see some of the fruits of that labor. That wasn't the intent of your generosity or of your interest in serving others, but then it actually became a part of how you became so successful. And I think that's just a great testament to putting service first. So you call yourself a chief servant leader rather than CEO. Tell us more about that. Yeah, servant leadership found me. A friend asked me to come back to our high school and speak. And I found myself in front of half the school, about 400 juniors and seniors. And it was a fun day for me to be back there. And he said at the end of it, Kevin is one of the few leaders I see that talks about his values and then walks the talk. And I got off the dais and said to him, I said, gosh, that was a huge compliment. Thank you very much. And because he and I had gone to high school together, he said, relax, it's a pretty simple servant leadership model. <laughs> so I had not heard of servant leadership at that point. He kind of put me in my place. I was like flying high after this big compliment. And he knocked me down to size as only a high school friend could and said, it's just servant leadership. And I said, well, where can I start? He gave me the first book by James Hunter called The Servant. And I went from there to just say, this is the package that we can put this in to say, this is how I'm leading authentically 
but it gave me a way to talk about it. It gave me a way to, to describe what we were doing. And then you saw all kinds of other people coming around it. But in, you know, 15 years ago, people weren't talking about that. Patrick Lencioni is a thought leader that I really respect. And Patrick, in his latest book, The Motive, he said at one point that we should stop saying servant leadership. We should discontinue the term. And here's a thought leader that I really admire about halfway through the book. And I'm like, oh no, Patrick doesn't think we should use the term servant leadership. As you read to the finish of the book, he says, because it's the only term that we should use to describe leadership, because it's the only type of leadership. I don't disagree with Patrick, but I also don't think we're there yet. There's no false humility with me. We're a great company because we have great people that choose to work at our company. And I'm nothing without them. So I show up to, to be their servant and to provide them the resources that they need to be great. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And something for all of us to think about is like, what are we aspiring to be like? And what are the words that we use to describe our leadership style? And to think that servant leadership may in fact be the only the most important one. I use the term generous leader. I think it's the same thing where it's all about how can we be of service? How can we support and invest in people? And I know that you and I share that philosophy. And right now you were talking about the choice that people have in, in terms of how they lead. So talk to me about choice. Someone said to me once, there's not even such a thing as time management, it's choice management. And so as we organize our days, even we're making choices about what's a priority for us. So at EDSI, we talk about where are those fence posts and where are the boundaries that you wanna draw in your own life and in your work life so that you know when you've crossed that boundary. If someone asks me to be a part of their board for board service and a charitable effort, the first question that I ask them is, when do you meet? Because I desperately love our two girls and I only have 18 summers with them. And so in those 18 summers of their life with me, they're 15 and 12 now. I'm not gonna be out on the road or at dinners every night, I'm missing that time with them. And so when I chose to buy the company, I realized I was making a choice that could potentially compromise my time with my family, my commitment to my wife. And I said to her, please be my North Star. She was nice enough to ask, how can I help you? And I said to Wendy, to my wife, just be my North Star. If I'm not the same husband and father I was when I bought this company, then I'll sell the company. So that's how I make that distinction. But I love your focus too on that generous leadership, Shannon, because I realized at one point in my life that uh, there's a great quote by Mark Golston, and he said, it's better to be interested than interesting. And as a kid growing up, because I had this gift of gab, I had the Irish gift of gab. And then that gift of gab, I always wanted to be the center of attention. When I was 12, 13, 14 years old, I was the funniest person in the room. I was the most entertaining person in the room. And then I got to a certain level of maturity where I just wanted to, to change that. I didn't want people to remember me as funny. I picked three words. I chose kind, thoughtful, and generous. And so generosity has been a huge component of that just to show up. So when we had a chance to write our values at the company, it was show up, smile, and support. And people laughed at me. They literally laughed me out of the room for five years when I talked about those words. To be a positive leader is not a popular thing. To be professor positive and be that voice in the room is a hard thing to choose to do. And so Anyway, you asked a simple question. I gave you a long answer, but those three words, I am kind, I am thoughtful, I am generous. Yeah, that was a complete answer. Thank you for that. Because what you were demonstrating for us is that choice management, because we can be anything related to these adjectives and our potential. And so for us to be really concrete and clear about how do I want to be? Because I think too often we get busy doing, 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 so that we can have authority or we can have responsibility or we can have respect or we can have love and then we'll be enough. And I love the simplicity of your advice about choose three. 
So for all of us listening, choose three adjectives that describe how you want to be and then how that transferred into your values in your organization. So how has that clarity of this is what I value, how has that helped you? When has that been challenging for you as a leader? Yeah, there are times where the external world doesn't see it the same way that you might see it. And it's not easy sometimes. There are customers that want to see me because I'm the CEO. And so I try to tell them, that's not how we operate. You have the most important person there with you. They're going to be with you there every day as a manager or every week as a regional leader. They're going to provide exceptional customer service. That's what's important to us. If I sign up to do that as a leader, I'm going to let you down. And that's the thing that affects me. Not that you care how I feel, but I don't want to let you down. If I'm trying to be kind, thoughtful, and generous, I can't do that across 90 customers. Even if I was exceptional, I can't do that. And I'm not. So I really can't do that. So in that way, they have the right person in the room. And for me, it's just a matter of explaining that to them. Because to me, in my life, nothing is good or bad. It's just about fit. Are you the right fit? And if you're not the right fit for that job, you're just going to have a job that you're not very good at and is not very good for you. And so that, that extends to the business ownership to me of just surrounding ourselves with people that bring that joy and generosity to the work that we do as well. And we we do evaluate it very specifically every year to say, do we want to continue these relationships or not? And we actually quantify what they feel like to us. Are these partners? Are these customers that are fair? Are these people that we want to get away from and, and don't want to work with anymore because they're bringing negative energy, you know, into the work that we do? And And that's not fair to ask people to do that, no matter what you're compensating them with. Right. That negative energy and how that drains you and how you had done your qualification or your vetting of the partnership early on. But once you're working together, it may feel different. And so you just reevaluate as you're working with your partners. So, Kevin, you're uniquely qualified to help us understand and empathize with individuals who are currently out of work or displaced due to the pandemic or the other economic conditions going on in the world right now. Uh, For those who are listening who are in that position or have loved ones or friends, family, colleagues, which I think includes all of us, what what can you teach us about how that feels and what do people need most in your experience when they're displaced? I think of the words of my grandfather, who was the CFO for a large construction firm in Pittsburgh. There is one buyer for everything. So as you put your house up for sale, there's a buyer out there. It might take you a little bit longer to get there. I think for the person who is currently unemployed that is looking for work, there is a buyer out there for your skill set. And there is someone that's going to invest in what you're really good at. It might not feel like that today. And it feels overwhelming to be unemployed. And I understand that. At the same time, you have to know that this isn't about you as much as finding that connection. And everybody is trying to figure this out because it's one of the most fundamental questions of how do you match the supply of someone's unique skills to the demand of that employer, it's incredibly difficult and it does come down to your skills. So I would say the advice I would give, if I can step back from it and just look at it that way, is to say, figure out again, what you're uniquely talented to do. What are your transferable skills? So look inside, look internally. The more you know yourself, the more you will see, all of a sudden you buy a red car and you only see red cars for a while because it's part of what you're looking at. And and so, For me, that's what I would say to to people in in that place is first, I'm sorry, this isn't about you. It's about a very typical, difficult situation that people experience in, in widespread ways now. And please don't lose hope 
and faith in the belief that you have in yourself because someone else will see that soon enough and, and give you a great opportunity that fits you well. When we come back, Kevin will share his core leadership philosophy. Do you love people? Hear how he answers that question and his advice related to your answer. Introducing the brand new QuadPod Podcast Network. At QuadPod, we have a variety of podcasts that are as unique as you. When you visit quadpod.com, you'll see our shows listed by category as well as average episode length. Find a new podcast at qodpod.com. The QuadPod Podcast Network. That's qodpod.com. And we're back with more from Kevin Schneiders, CEO and Chief Servant Leader of EDSI. I love people. And one of the things that I try to train when I train in leadership is to say, if you don't love them, don't lead them. If you don't love them, don't lead them. I don't care how big the company gets. If I'm going to be the Chief Servant Leader, I will meet with everybody every year. And so my commitment to them, it started off when we had 450 people. And I said, I will meet with 450 people in 45 days. And so Jennifer, who is my amazing executive assistant, set that all up logistically. And we had meetings of 10 or less, over 45 meetings to do that in 45 days. Then now it's 900 in 90 days. So we split it up to do it 450 in the spring and 450 in the fall. But when we meet with these folks, we hear their story. The two questions I ask is, how are you doing? And what will you be doing? And the only caveat I place on is you can't talk about work. Not for the next half hour, no one's talking about work. And so you can call me in 30 minutes to talk about work, but I just wanna know how you're doing. And then at the end of it, I ask them to tell me what we should stop doing as a company and what we should start doing as a company to, to pull their collective wisdom. And you get the heartbeat of the company from the people that actually matter and are doing the work. I meet with two people a week too that are just doing great work and we call them meetups. I just met with someone today and she, her story is amazing, right? I'm not gonna give her name over the air, but to listen to her, to sit with her, we don't talk about work. We just talk about who she is uniquely as a person and what makes her strengths valuable for her path and how we can help inform that and be intentional about how she's applying it. And it's just, it's a blast for me because I love people. They're surprised that the CEO is taking that time out, but I don't think that says as much about EDSI as, as where we're putting our focus. It says some great things about what we're trying to do to be intentional for the people. Our talent team has done an amazing job in the pandemic. We've done over 640 unique workshops for our people in, internally around professional development. It's all focused on the whole human. It's all focused on self-compassion. It's all focused on self-care. It's all focused on showing up for one another. And that's been a big part of what we've focused on. And I get to teach a class every week. So selfishly, it's fun for me too. Um, it gets me back to my education roots and, and really being with people too. In those group meetings that you're having with all 900 of your team members, could you give us some, here, here's what it seems like is going on with, with the population of people that work at EDSI? Because I think that's a subset of people in general, right? So what are you learning? Yeah, it's been amazing, right? And really hard in the pandemic. We've now had two sessions over 14 months that have spanned the pandemic. And you're hearing a lot of pain and loss and suffering. We had one individual, Shannon, that had lost five family members to COVID, from his sister to a distant relative. And that's incredible to sit with that and to see what people share in groups that they, that's their, the way we talk about it, that's their immediate family, 
right? Because we're a family at EDSI, that's their immediate family. The other offices and states away, those are their relatives, they only see at weddings and funerals. And then we who serve them in an administrative role, excuse me, are the ones who send them care packages and show more interest in their life. But to sit with them and feel that, you're feeling a lot of loss, a lot of trauma, a lot of pain. And it's important for us to acknowledge that and then look forward to say, what can be our future? What do we get back to? Our family sits around the dinner table and we sometimes play the game, what was different about today? Because of the pandemic, let's just zoom in here a little bit and say, what was different about today? I would have driven home from work instead of worked from home. I would have sat at dinner with you and then we would have gone for a walk or you would have done your homework. It's not that different today. But if it was a weekend and we would have been going to a baseball game or something or traveling out of the state, we do a lot of travel as a family, that's lost right now. And that's okay because people have lost more. Both my parents have been in the hospital since the pandemic started, and that that felt impossible. So now you have true empathy for these folks who are trying to get a nurse on the phone and say, how can I get information about my loved one? And so fortunately, they're doing okay today, and you, you come back from that, but that gives our kids perspective of what people are feeling when it really matters. Because at the end of our game, we always say we have what we need around this table. We have our family, we have our faith, we have our food, we have a, a roof. We have the necessary things and we'll move forward with great enthusiasm to get back. Absolutely. Yeah. And to give people a space to open up and to make it not about work and to really enable them to be human together and that learning and that empathy and then the celebration for the things that are going well in someone's life and the understanding of how we want to be going forward because it has that future focus to it. I think that's all really healthy, positive ways in which you're making a culture. You're telling them, here's what we value, but then you're showing them, here's what we value. We value you and we want you to feel like you can really be yourself here. So what would you say are some of the benefits to being generous? What would be the return on generosity in your opinion? Gosh, hopefully everybody had a grandmother like mine that told them that for every dollar I gave, I got two back. And so that stuck with me when I was a kid. She didn't have any money. But for every dollar she gave, she got two back. And I think that's been my lesson around generosity. It's, as you said earlier, Shannon, I heard you say, this is not your intent. Adam Grant wrote a great book called Give and Take. And he talked about givers and matchers and takers. And I'm a giver, hand raised, I'm a giver. And in that way, I don't do it as a matcher. I'm not looking for someone to, to give me something in return. But somebody reached out to me today with a very simple request. They texted, one of my colleagues texted me and said, hey, my friend wants to take tennis lessons. Where should we start? Like, I'm going to go with her. I had three people ran, like rapid fire back to her in short order because of all these connections that you build through that generosity. These aren't people that like owe me a favor that I'm calling in, but it's this network of great people that is established because you're living this generous life that's selflessly giving to other people. Absolutely. I was just looking at Stephen M. R. Covey wrote The Speed of Trust. And it's all about how when we have trust, things just move more quickly. It's more efficient because we don't have to go through those mental hurdles of, can I give them this information? Can I trust them with my password? Should I invite them to this meeting? We don't have to waste our time, so to speak, with that concern. And what I'm hearing you say is that there is a speed of generosity, right? When you have those relationships built that you've been investing in, not for the purpose of redeeming any credit or dividends, but the fact is that I think generally people want to help other people. 
but people have to ask. So I appreciate that somebody reached out to you to ask about the tennis lessons or, you know, that personal favor and that then you were given the opportunity to give. So I think that's something else that we all need to be aware of, especially those of us who are on the giver side of the equation to make sure that we're enabling other people to get the opportunity to give back to us. <laughs> you do have to ask, and that wasn't a strength of mine. Can I tell you a quick funny story too, Shannon, about the, the our values, right? Because like when, when, when we crafted those values, I did think it was my responsibility as the leader to say what the values are. And I don't know why, but I didn't want to do that in a vacuum. So I invited 12 people into our office in Michigan and said, hey, these are, you're the best. You're the brightest and best. And after three days, one with a facilitator that they fired and it was a mess. Like after three days, I didn't have anything. And so I was driving to the last day and I'm literally going down the highway. I could tell you the strip of road that I was on. And as a former English teacher, I think the alliteration just came to me as that show of smile and support because that's what they represented. That's what they were all about. So while it was connected to, as you you correctly pointed out, to kindness, thoughtfulness, and generosity, that was what I was seeing in those people too, is their generosity, their shared humanity, their contributions. And so I went in and, and they laughed at me. They literally laughed at me when I told them show up, smile and support. Jim Ellis, one of our great leaders came up to me and said, I know what show up means. I know what support means, but what are you talking about with smile? And again, it was this cheesy grin of mine. And I'm like, that's not what I mean. This is about being positive and being part of the solution and keeping things moving forward. So we wrote our daily ways and those define what those words mean to us which was an important component that I wasn't bright enough to figure out. I needed the generosity of someone else to say, you've said these words, but we don't know what they mean. And how many people say that to a leader? That That's a really cool relationship to have too. That's such a great illustration of the open door policy, as we've heard, or that we want to make sure that it's a two-way communication, but very rarely is it a two-way communication. And your reaction to and response to the individual who shared, hey, here, I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense to me. Is this just like put a smile on and put, you know, a silver lining around everything and you're helping to co-create the meaning of it. And I also love that. I also love that you're looking at the behaviors associated with the values so that we're not just leaving it up to interpretation, but we're being clear about this is what it looks like. This is what it doesn't look like. And then are you also using those values in your performance management system or process? That's more than 50% of it. That's where we start. We just open up those daily ways and there are 12 of them. No one's asked to remember what they are, but they define what show up, smile and support means. And then we say, you give yourself a score and then we'll help you understand if your awareness is is on track too. It's everything to us. And, and we have a lot of patience for people at the company that are doing the wrong things with their technical job but very little patience for the ones that are doing the wrong thing with other people and how they're living that show of smile and support. And uh, we just got really lucky that we used that alliteration because 900 people will never struggle to figure out what our values are. And it has absolutely made our culture scalable in a way that's, that's been really cool and generative. And I do a video every week on Monday morning that goes out about the daily way for that week. Hey, we're focused on this week, it's on part of the solution. And I was just meeting with a group of leaders in a cohort and they said, we all watch it together in the office because I was joking with them. I'm like, well, only 200 people watch it. Like I get the I get the statistics, 900 people don't watch it. And they're like, well, maybe we watch it together, right? And so I said, oh, that's nice. Nice to know that you're watching it as a group and even better. Then they can be a community about it. Yeah, I think that that's brilliant. And I, I, I think it's so important too, to be clear about what you mean 
and then to give everybody a bite size. So here's this week's focus. So take this in and practice this because we're creatures of habit. So it's hard for people to make significant change all at once, but we can all make incremental change every day. So in our last couple minutes, I just wanted to find out about being a B Corp. So you are a B Corporation. Tell us about that. What is that distinction in the business world? Yeah, I mean, it's what we believe in in that community is business for the power of good. You're putting that into the context of people, the local communities you work in, and the environment. And for us, it was much like servant leadership found me, B Corps found EDSI. It was the way that we were living. And when we made our initial application, the response that I got in the verbal interview part was that companies try for 10 years to get the score that we got. And I say that not to be boastful, but to just be you know, really clear about the fact that this is the way we were living as a company. We put people before profits. We invest in our local communities. We've worked in Pittsburgh for 27 years with the same customer. And so in that way, we mean to set up roots around the country and stay there. And so that's what's been really fun. We know we have work to do environmentally. And in that environmental space, we want to learn, too, how to make our footprint smaller and and learn from the community. So we're really excited to be a small part of what we think are 3,600 companies around the globe that are really engaged in business for the power of good. Oh, that's fantastic. And I love that it was not a change in behavior so that you could get the distinction. It was actually how you were operating. And it so happened to be the criteria for that distinction. And it's something to celebrate. I think it's magnificent when organizations make it their business to be a B corporation and to be in service for the greater good. There's a lot of congruence there when when organizations make that their mission and live by those values. So where can people find you? Yeah, I'm really proud of our marketing team. You can Google us anywhere in the world at EDSI. Just Google EDSI. If you send a general email, I will get it. They will make sure it finds me. The easiest way is just to Google EDSI and you'll find us. Ah, terrific. Well, thank you so much, Kevin, for sharing your heart and your experience with us. We so appreciate you. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for all the work you're doing, Shannon. It's super important. ROG takeaway tip, how to apply what we've learned to our own work and lives. Kevin shared so many insights and really models what a chief servant leader looks like. Let's dig into this concept more to figure out how we can become better servant leaders. Servant leadership is a leadership philosophy in which the goal of the leader is, you guessed it, to serve. It's different from traditional leadership in many ways. Like traditional leaders typically use power and control to drive performance. A servant leader shares power and control to drive engagement. Traditional leaders often think that it's about them, where servant leaders know that it's not about them. And lastly, traditional leaders tend to speak, servant leaders listen. We get this. It's a form of generous leadership. There's a direct relationship between leadership and service. I serve because I'm the leader, and I'm a leader because I serve. What do you think would be some characteristics of a servant leader? Let's zero in on one core characteristic, listening. How actively do you listen? What are your listening habits? Let's look at the four stages of habit. All habit, good and bad, move predictably through these four stages and developing a leadership skill like listening is no exception. Stage one, unconscious and unskilled. That's when we're unaware and therefore unskilled in this habit. 
We're multitasking. We're cutting people off. We're ignorantly saying the same exact thing that someone just said. Others know that we're a bad listener and we are clueless. Stage two, conscious and unskilled. We are aware, but we're not good at it. We've been given some feedback. We're aware that listening is an opportunity. And when we interrupt, we're now aware, uh uh-oh, that's me being a bad listener and apologize. Stage three is conscious and skilled. We receive the feedback, we're aware, we get some coaching, we build some competence, and we start to become an active listener. And then we move to stage four, where we're unconscious and skilled. We're all in, and we don't even need to think about it anymore. We're listening, we're engaged, and we're amazed by how interesting people are. My favorite quote about habit, the chains of habit are too weak to be felt until they're too strong to be broken. Samuel Johnson. Think about that. The chains of habit are too weak to be felt, like the loop isn't even closing, until they're too strong to be broken, like we can't imagine being any other way. It really boils down to this. It's all about choice. Do you choose to listen or hear enough and reply? What new habit can you build to enable you to be a better listener? Here are some ideas. Number one, be curious. Wonder what the person's going to say. You could also keep your phone out of sight and on silent. You could make eye contact. You could assume that you don't know what the other person's going to say because you don't. And you could consider what is it like to be that other person? What is their reality like? Listen from a place of empathy and compassion. So do some self-reflection this week on your own approach to leadership and listening. What daily listening habits can you build to take what you're now realizing is either unconscious and unskilled and move it to conscious and skilled? The chain is too strong to be broken. Until next week, listen generously, everyone. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.